I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a uh, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJapple with two ends. Uh, I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi, I'm Stephen Clark, a Chelsea fan. You can find me on EPL Index and on London is Blue. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, we have a few topics that we usually get to, but this is actually one of my favorite shows of the year. After Match Week 19, we're halfway through the season, so we kind of do our own little mini award show. So we're just going to quickly go through, I'm going to ask you who you think should uh, have this award at this stage of the season. Uh, we'll start off with Player of the Season for me. I think it's hard to look past Mohamed Salah and his 15 goals from the wing, uh, considering their defensive record doing significant uh, amounts of effort and getting them uh, into the top four at the moment. Uh, interested to get your guys' take, or if we're just all going to agree, uh, <laughs> Mohamed Salah has been phenomenal thus far. Yeah, I think Mohamed Salah has been very good, but um, I wouldn't give him halfway play of the season, if that's what we're calling it. I don't think I'd give it to him. I think I think Raheem Sterling, I think it's very difficult to look past him and it's improved that much. I think... When everybody saw Pep coming to to Manchester City, you thought, "Oh, Sterling's going to improve a lot." Like he's been tipped for great things since like he was sixteen, and he, he's not done it. But I think even this last summer, like Bernardo Silva coming in, you thought, "Oh, Sterling's going to be the one that misses out," and he hasn't been the one that misses out. I think he's been in. I think he, he's only only not started. I think four of the matches, which I think is incredible. I think it's really good to see Pep not only make Manchester City a great team, which he's completely done improving the players he has at his resources and and Sterling's been one of those. He's he's the the third or second top scorer in the Premier League, which is incredible for, for what he's been for the past few seasons. I think it's been really great to just watch him just develop and, and get better. And he gets better with every game. I I didn't think he I saw him score in the first few games. I thought he's not gonna keep that up. I don't think he's got that in him. But he keeps delivering, and that's really, really impressive. And as an England supporter, I hope he can keep it going to the World Cup. Whether he does or not is is a different question. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't put any money on him doing it because I'm an England supporter, and I think that's not going to happen. But it's really, really good to see him doing that for Manchester City. And it's it's finishing compared to what it was at Liverpool. Like the way it's it's got so much better. Like the the goal he scored this weekend was incredible, and it was such a good finish. And he didn't get as much credit as maybe he deserved. And, and he's creating goals as well. He created the one for Danilo this weekend. Like he, he's been really, really good. And, and for me, maybe he's not been the best player, but he's been the standout player. He's been the one player that I, I've gone away from the start of the season thinking, yeah, this guy is, this guy is, it's been the player of the season. 
maybe yeah, like I said, not maybe not the best, but he's been the player that stands out and makes you think, yeah, he's a player I'm going to remember for the first nineteen games of this season. So yeah, Raheem Sterling for me. Yeah, for me, I mean, it, it's it's always easy to get to go for the to go for the guys who scored the most goals. I suppose uh, Mohamed Salah stands out, and um, even Harry Kane, you know, performing through pretty much every week in what's been a, a hard season for Spurs. But for me, you've just got to look at the Man City team. You can't. You, they are they are the team of the season, and um, it's for, but for me. You know, you could go with Aguero, you could go with De Bruyne, but I've personally gone with Fernandinho. I just think he's been outstanding every game I've seen of theirs, which, you know, I've, I've made an effort to watch as many games of theirs as I can this season because I think what they're doing is just incredible. But, you know, Fernandinho, he, he doesn't always stand out because, you know, he's not the guy who's creating the goals. He's kind of the, the pass before the assist is that old cliche. But um, he really is. He He's completing something like a 82 passes per game and... Um, made zero errors leading to goals. He's just been so composed. And um, I really think he's helped Man City deal with the loss of John Stones. He just steps back in there. And um, he's actually even made someone like Nicolas Otamendi look look like an incredible defender this season. So I think um, all props to Fernandinho. I think he allows Man City to do what they do best. Uh, who do you guys think has been the young player of the season? Um, Jake already took mine with Raheem Sterling, but kind of agree that it isn't really in the spirit of the rule. But isn't he still just 22 or 23, um, which is just ridiculous? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a he's he's a contender for both awards, which is very important. I think, like I think Ronaldo did it for the first time since Andy Gray, and then I think. Is it Gareth Bale and Harry Kane have both got it since, maybe? Yep. Kevin, you'll know better than me as, as, as a... Yeah, Tottenham player. had, had uh, five of the last six young players of the year. Yeah, so they, they've both done it. But I think I think he's definitely, he definitely deserves to be in for some individual awards. I'm service is really good. But another person I think, if you if you, if you ask me a young player, I think probably Marcus Rashford. I think he's maybe gone under the radar a little bit, but he's been, especially since the character he's gone off the radar, I think he's been... Very, very good for Manchester United. I think it's really, really nice to see a player that comes. He burst on the scene, and I think a lot of people maybe expect him to go off, off the maybe when Mourinho took over, maybe not be given as many games or, or sort of go off the radar. But he's not done that, and he's he stayed stayed in it, and he's he's doing well. He gets goals in the assists. He's, he's a he's a very good player, and I think he's an, he's another one I would consider. Like, I don't think there's many other players in the six teams that, that maybe deserve mention. Joe Gomez, aside from this weekend, possibly, but I don't think he's been as great to deserve such a such an award as the Young Player of the Year. It's it's a it, I don't think there's many standout players for that this season. But if if you'd ask me for two, I'd say uh, Marcus Rashford, and Joe Gomez, and Ryan Sterling, of course. Yeah, for me, I'm not sure how this is going to come across because I'm going to choose a Chelsea player. But um, <laughs> um, for me, it's 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 got to be Andreas Christensen. I I just think this kid is going to be something special. He's going to predicting it now. He's going to be in the top five, maybe like you know, could be the top one centre back in the world. And and when we're talking like six, seven years down the line, he's honestly blows my mind every time I see him play. He's still a little bit raw in terms of like one on one defending, but I think that's where some playing with someone like Azpilicueta is going to just improve his game incredibly. He's um he's got a ninety three percent pass completion ratio. You know, he's he's playing he's playing for Chelsea the same role that, you know, John Stones was heralded for playing at Everton and now at City. And I think he I think 
he's going a little bit under the radar because of Chelsea not being in the spotlight right now. But um, he's so composed. He's makes he very very rarely makes a decision uh, a, a decision very rarely makes a a um a decision that leads to a mistake. And he often always covers himself straight after. He's he's just twenty one and um. But maybe the main reason why I've chosen him is because I really just thought that we weren't going to see one of these guys at Chelsea make it through. You know, I thought the the kind of the generation of Charlie Masonda, Jeremy Boga, and and Joseph Christensen, and a few of those other guys around that 21, 22 year old age, um, kind of in the Ruben Loftus cheek mold. I thought they were just getting a little bit too old. I thought they'd miss their opportunity. But here comes Andreas Christensen playing really well overseas in the Bundesliga, and then then someone like Conte is able to actually give him a shot. You know, um, obviously the things that went down with David Luiz meant that meant that he was kind of forced his hand a little bit, but he um, still nonetheless gave him the gave him the the opportunity, and um, I think he's he's taken it with both hands. Yeah, not the first time uh, you and I have spoken about Andreas Christensen on the show. Obviously, is a massive, massive talent and somebody that was supposed to just have potential, but very clearly already has ability. Um, who do you guys think has been the most impressive manager thus far? I- I'm sure Pep uh, is going to get shouts just considering the the record breaking season they they are having. Um, but a couple weeks ago, I said that I think it's just as impressive what Sean Dyche has done thus far with Burnley. And I think I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, I, I think Sean Dyche is a fair. A fair shout, I think. They were, they were both Tottenham going into this weekend's game, which is incredible for, for any team fishing outside the top six. To be a, a, above one heading into the Christmas period is, is incredible, but I'm not completely buying into him right now. I, I always come on this podcast with controversial opinions. I think that's maybe my role. <laughs> but I just, I just, I think he's been quite lucky. I'm, I'm big on expected goals. I'm big on those sort of things. And whether they're the correct things to be to, to judge by, just by maybe not. But I'm big on those things, and I think Sean Dyche being rather lucky is like I think there's been better teams outside the top six than Burnley this season. I think they've been they've been quite lucky. I think, and and it's gonna it's gonna average up to the mean. I don't think they're gonna finish in the top seven, finish in the top eight. I don't think that's gonna be where they're gonna finish. I think it's gonna be more mid table, twelfth, twelfth, eleventh, thirteenth, something something around there. I think I think they've been really good at what they've done. I think to, to manage a game, I think game management maybe is not showed up in the stats that I look at, which I, I'm happy to admit that they're not showing up. But I think I think they've done well. But I think another team that have done really well is Huddersfield. I think they've come up, not been in the Premier League before, and and like they've been in the top division, but they've been not, not been in the Premier League. They've come up. David Baxter has really really managed them well. They pick up points when they need to pick up points. They're as a t- as a support of a team close to the bottom of the table. They're very annoying at winning matches when they just when they need to win a match, they win a match, and that's really really annoying for me. But they they've done a, a absolutely fantastic job, and I think they're going to stay in the Premier League. Like it's easy to look at their goal difference. Sometimes they get absolutely destroyed in matches, but they pick up the points when they need to, and like they got a good point at Southampton this weekend. They've beaten Brighton in the last couple of weeks. They've they they've beaten you know other teams as well. West Brom, I think, is the team they've beaten. They, they're just very good at pick up points. I think they've got a very not a great squad. They've just got a a, a squad that does what they need them to do, and I think they're going to be absolutely fine. So I think I think David Wagner deserves a little credit as a, as a manager. I think he's done well, and I think 
not not a manager of the season, but he's done well. I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. Yeah, for me, obviously, it's it's incredibly hard to look past Pep Guardiola. What they're doing there at Manchester City is kind of historic, and you know the goals they're scoring, the 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 fact that they've only drawn one game, one eighteen, and lost none is is just crazy. <laughs> but um, I'll go I'll go someone I'll go someone a little little lower just to give some love to the to the mid table. But um, I'm gonna go for um. Puel at uh, Leicester City. I think that um, mm. I think that he's really getting. He's, I think he's getting the the kind of <laughs> sounds silly because they won the league, but I think he's getting the most out of this squad. What we can feasibly expect from them this season. I think I think he's kind of getting everyone to their maximum potential. He's got, you know, Vardy was always kind of scoring even through last year. He went through dry spells, but you know he's been continuously on and off. He's a streaky player, but um, for me, he's just been getting the best out of Riyad Mahrez, and I. I've been, I've been watching a bit of them recently, and just Mares on top form. Just he really does look like the player that you know was crucial in their title success a couple of years ago. And um, you know, getting getting Leicester to eighth, I can't. I kind of think that's about where they're going to finish. I think I think they have a chance of you know going into seventh um, as we get into the second half of the season. And you know, you know, you never know if Arsenal or someone slip up. I think um, I think there's a, a real opportunity there for them to finish high up the table and try and get a spot in. Um, in Europe, you know, um, I think that I think they're a decent side. I think he's, he's been getting a real good tune out of um, people like Harry Maguire as well. Um, I think uh, that's really exciting for England fans to uh, look at the potential of, of someone like Harry Maguire. Um, I think he's been awesome this season. And yeah, I um, also would give I would actually give a shout to uh, Sam Allardyce because I, I it blows my mind every time. But I I think that he's probably got his most talented squad right now that he's ever had, and I think. Um, even though it doesn't look pretty, the results are just are just insane. And with a, you know, he came into Everton when you know people were kind of calling it a bit of a crisis at the club. Um, people were worried about um about relegation. That there was genuine fear there, and I think that um that's been allayed partly down to David Unsworth. I think he did a decent enough job there, getting the points they needed. Um, but now it kind of seems with Everton in ninth that Sam Allardyce kind of just has this blank slate for the rest of the for the rest of the year and he's kind of just got a, a free shot at whatever he wants to do and I wouldn't be surprised to see them climb up and um you know potentially in the second half of the season if if you know the the kind of four to six teams slip up I wouldn't be surprised to see Everton chasing them right in the tails yeah no I, I think those are all interesting shots uh all right and uh the other part of this is it's a good time to readjust where we think people will finish the season uh, so the top four, obviously City, it would take something incredible for them to not win the title this season. Uh, who do you guys think will fill those other three spots? Yeah, I think this is a difficult one. I think, I think the Premier League is the most difficult league to finish in the top in the in the top four. This is why, like, a job in Spain, a job in Italy, a job in France. Like, if you, if you want to be a Champions League manager, there's so much more it's like appealing than the ones in the Premier League. Because there are six really, really good teams there. Uh, like it's easy to write off Arsenal and Liverpool after what they did the other day, but they've got some really good players and they've, and, and they've got success in those competitions. It's it's tough. I think at the time at the time of this podcast, I think Manchester United actually one of those spots. I think it's very difficult to see them not getting one, despite the dropping points at Leicester. I think I think they're going to be one of the ones that finish in the top four. Um, the other two are completely up for grabs. I think it could be any any two or four. Um, 
I think Liverpool's attack are probably going to get them there. And I think Tottenham have just got that experience that's probably going to get them there as well. So I'd say, for me, it's probably Manchester City, Manchester United, um, Tottenham and Liverpool. I think that they're the four for me. But it's so difficult to write Chelsea off. They've got a really good manager. They've got some really good players. But they do just keep slipping up. Like it happened again this weekend. Uh, they couldn't. They couldn't get. They couldn't get the win. They drew nil nil against Everton. Even though Everton have been improved, um, I think Chelsea should have had the should have had enough to win that game. That's probably going to be one they look back on with regret. I just think Liverpool got got the attack. I think Manchester United got the complete package, and I think Tottenham just got that experience. They've done it the last couple of years. I just can't see them not doing it again. Um, they were seventh before this weekend, but they they got the win. They've got some really really good players. Uh, and the team I could I could see matching Manchester City over half of a season, maybe not over a full season, but I could see them getting some really really good results. Yeah, for me, um, I think my top four is it's obviously going to be Man City winning the title. I think that is past the point of no return now for any any side, no matter how optimistic you kind of want to be. Um, personally, I think Chelsea are going to finish second. I think that um, it's but this is so neck and neck. I mean, Chelsea and Manchester United's form, I think, is is basically neck and neck every week, you know, um, for the last five or six weeks. So it's really hard to kind of pick any aside out of out of the form right now for those two. But I think, um, yeah, it'll be second or third for Manchester United and Chelsea. I think they've got the experienced managers to um, make sure that we see out those positions. And I think um, with the little four-point gap that we've got now on, on Liverpool, I think that, you know, that will only increase over the span of um, the second half of the season. And actually, to get that fourth spot, I I think I think it's going to be Spurs. That might make you ha- happy, Kev, because um, I think that I think that teams go through go through good spells and bad spells. And I think that Spurs have this season started off with their bad spell and might mm. be uh, coming into a strong second half for, of this season. I think that um, I'm personally not a believer in this kamikaze football that Liverpool play. I, I really don't think it's sustainable, and I really don't, especially over a season. I think that. I think you just expose yourself too much. I think that especially in the Premier League where, you know, attacks are, are so lethal and so so consistently, so so consistent basically where strikers, you know, they go they go on runs and they, they're able to score. They're able to gee themselves up for these big games, especially against Liverpool who very much are in the mindset that, that they know that their defense is, is shocking, and they and they, I think I think players on opposition teams look forward to going against those against Liverpool's defense. Whereas you know they go against teams like uh, against like uh, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, and, and Spurs. I think that they don't look forward to those days against their defenses. I think with Liverpool, every team goes into that game knowing they have a chance, and I don't think that that is going to help them. Yeah, uh, very pleased to hear uh, you guys saying Tottenham. I, I was actually kind of following the same line of thought as well, which I kind of mentioned with the Pochettino thing earlier. The fact that we're still in it, even with kind of the struggles we've had, um, I think is really telling of how strong this team can be. As soon as we get Toby and Victor Wanyama back, I mean, I mean, we talked about injuries uh, about a month ago, um, and these are not you know sexy positions, center back and defensive midfielder, but they're two of our best eleven. That we've been without. I think them coming back will obviously be a boost. Uh, Del Ali looks like he's finally coming out of his funk. Is he still going to be a bit of a jerk on the pitch? Yeah. Um, but hopefully he can start putting in the performances that make people at least willing to tolerate that. I think getting Lamella back is, is very uh, understated. 
Um, I think he could do big things to really help us. And then Harry Kane is just going to keep being Harry Kane. Um, there, are, it's very strange this season. Um, he's actually not scored in more matches than he's scored this Premier League season. But when he is scoring, he's scoring twos and threes, um, which is finally kind of putting goal uh, matches to bed. Which sometimes his goals were uh, kind of earlier in the match, but he's he's been winning these matches for us lately, which is obviously huge benefit. And on the other side of that coin, completely agree with you, Stephen, on Liverpool. Um, I think it's kind of the tale of two teams. I think Liverpool have actually started really well in attack. Uh, I think the one upside for Liverpool is that if Salah starts to regress, you'd assume that Mane would actually start to perform like he did last season um, because he's been pretty understated this season, although he has had some uh, injuries to deal with. Um, But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Chelsea and Tottenham are the other two alongside the Manchester clubs. Uh, I'm sure Liverpool fans saying, you know, if we buy a center back in January, won't that help? I don't know if it helps fast enough. Um, their home defense has actually been pretty decent this season, uh, but that's not where all the matches are going to happen. And uh, yeah, I think Liverpool will just miss out. Arsenal, I just I don't know what they're good at. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't know how you could hang your hat on Arsenal and be like, definitely, because like Alexis had a good ten minutes. But he's kind of been struggling. Utsul has been improving. Um, I don't know. The, the whole treatment of uh, Kolasinac after his brilliant start to the season has been very strange to me. Uh, I'm just rambling now. Chelsea and Tottenham. And uh, at the other end of the table, curious to get your guys' thoughts on who might be going down because I bet it's pretty different than what you guys thought about three weeks ago. I mean, yes. I think at the bottom of the table, it's even madder than it is at the top, I think. I was never convinced that Newcastle were going to be in such a bad position. And, like, week on week, I got grounded down, and I started to think maybe we were going to go down. But, like, we've beaten West Ham, and West Ham were in a good spot. We beat them, and not we not only beat them, we played some really, really good football. I think that's really encouraging, not only just because, yeah, we played for good football, that's a good thing, but the confidence the players showed during that match, I think that's really important for us. Uh, going into the January window, I think we're going to invest, and I think we're going to bring in some some better players, which I think we need. But we got we got a result, and we, yeah, we got Manchester City on the twenty seventh. That's not what you want, but we got Brighton in, on the thirtieth and Stoke on the first. So out of our next three games, we've got two matches that we should really look at with the view of taking points. So like, I'm starting to think maybe we're not going to go down, which. Maybe, I, I, I didn't think we'd ever go down this season, but over the last few weeks I've tried to consider it maybe it, maybe, maybe it might happen, but this win and our upcoming fixtures just has reassured me a little bit. I think, I think we're going to move out of it. But I think Bournemouth, Bournemouth were in a lot of trouble. I, I don't think they've got a great squad. I don't think, I think the football plays into the hands of teams taking points of them. I don't think it's, it's, it's the best way to play when you're at the bottom. Uh, West Brom, they've not had the part you bounce, and as somebody that has written and, and studied Podge's career as much as I have, I think without that bounce, I'm not, I'm not convinced they're gonna, it's gonna get much better from for them from here. I think they're gonna be down there. I think Swansea are down there. I don't think giving Leon Britton any sort of time as, as a head coach is the right thing. So I just think for for me, those three teams, uh, I think. Those those three teams are the ones I fear for. At, at, at this point, it could completely change. A few weeks ago, I'd have said West Ham, I'd have said Everton. Like it, it changes all the time. But at at this point, I think 
Bournemouth, Swansea, and West Brom the teams are really fifth. Yeah, you're completely right there. It's it changes from week to week. You, you look at you look at teams' forms, and you you're convinced one minute that they're going to lose the next you know two three games, and then they'll go on a two or three game winning streak, and you're left not knowing kind of where the other teams sit. For me, yeah, I I um I really thought for a while that that Newcastle kind of was going to be involved in the struggle, and not not so much because I don't believe in a lot of their players. I actually think um. Jamal LaSalle is one of the most underrated centre-backs around. I think that if he was in a in a better side defensively, I think that he, he might he might shine, be able to shine a bit more. But um no and and, and there's obviously West Ham. I think that um I think that when they appointed David Moyes, I, I thought that was a death sentence. But you know, he's he's gone on to prove by beating my team and by beating a, a couple other teams that he's um he's he's done fairly well there so far. And I think that I see them see them on the upward slope. Swansea for me is the obvious candidate to go down. I think that I think they've may have waited just a little bit too long for the for the managerial swap, and I think that you know where they're kind of trying to sort themselves out. This is the period where you want to kind of uh, take advantage of uh, the this fixture this fixture congestion, and I think that um this is where you really ideally want to have your new manager settling in and uh, getting a few games for you, um, getting a few games done, a few wins on the board. Um, West Brom, yeah, I. Never been a big believer in Pardew, to be honest. I think the Newcastle side that he had was a was a really good team, and I think that he was kind of a, a little bit lucky to be heralding that side. And I, I, when West Brom appointed him, I honestly couldn't believe it. I he's one of these guys that to me he just gets jobs because I think he's a probably charismatic guy. He's been in the game for a few years, and you know he's got, he's got all these friends. You know, probably put in a good word for him. Got a decent enough record as a manager, but nothing special. He's is. He's just a boring choice, and I really uninspired. I, I don't think I think it, it's a little bit of a myth that he plays this kind of forward-going football. I think that I think he just plays football. I don't think he really has any <laughs> mentality or any any kind of system. It, it's it's he honestly baffles me how he's managed to get a get a job and how West Brom have given up someone like Tony Pulis, despite you know obviously the kind of brand of football that Tony Pulis brings. I just think that. You know they were far safer, and um, if they wanted to change managers, I think that they should have perhaps done it at the start of the season. Um, and you know, obviously Bournemouth um, completes the, the bottom three right now. Eddie Howe, you know, he's it would have been hard to replicate what they did last season and finishing. I think they finished tenth or eleventh, um, and you know that was always going to be hard to replicate. But this season has obviously proved that you know it is a lot harder than than you think down there, and I think that it's really tight. Um, down there, you know, a few wins could could change the outlook on on them. Uh, I think that they have a decent enough squad as well. But you know, right now, you know, three losses on the on the spin coming up against West Ham in their next game. You know, who are kind of been patchy. If they if they lose that one, I think they I think they're going to be in some real danger. But um, one also I, I would uh, I would point out I think that um I think that Brighton um I think there's always one team that that drops kind of from mid table to into that relegation spot by the end of the season, kind of around this time. And I think that I think that Brighton, even though out of probably the promoted teams, I would argue that they have the most kind of a the best record so far of just um of seeing a game out kind of one nil. I think um Pavel Gross has been um instrumental in that kind of one that textbook one nil win that they've been getting recently. And um yeah, I think I think that he he stands out as a candidate, you know, as one of these guys that can keep a team up. But I also would just say that I think that um, 
I think that they have a tendency to go on kind of three, four game loss runs. You know, they if they run into a, into a bad spell of form, I think that they could be the team that drops like a stone in the table. And they've got us next week. You know, I think um, if team if the teams below them get some points, it could it could see them drop to like sixteenth. So it's it's from where they are now in twelfth. So you know, it's it's crazy down there at the moment. It only takes a bit a couple of bad games for you to for you to drop down the table. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of that stuff. I, I think Swansea are there as well. Also, I was kind of confident that West Brom would turn things around. Um, those that thought that uh, Pulis would help keep them up, I think, hadn't really seen their recent matches where they were awful. And I think the squad is much better than relegation fodder. But, man, that loss to Stoke was a bad one. Listeners of the show will know I've been pretty anti-Stoke the last four or five weeks. Just They, they have just not showed up for matches in the fact that they were able to get that kind of a result against West Brom, um, I fear is way more telling for West Brom than Stoke. I don't think this is the beginning of a Stoke turnaround. I think um, that they are kind of playing with fire with how long they're keeping Mark Hughes. Um, I do not think he's going to turn things around this season. I, I think uh, when you mention teams that are quote-unquote mid-table that could drop down there, uh, I think Stoke would be in that um, as well. Uh, but it is worth noting, I mean, as Jake said earlier, uh, the, the bottom half of the table is pretty crazy uh, point-wise because a team like Swansea, who are only on 13 points, are two wins away from being in 13th, right? Like, that, these, are, these are the margins we're talking about here. Eight points separate the top 10 and 20th. So, or sorry, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty crazy how tight all this is. And as we've said, these all change week to week. But I, I do like this halfway point of the season to really address these things uh, and then just kind of see where they develop from here. But I agree with Swansea. I think most people would. Um, West Brom really look bad, but I think they might have the talent to get out of it. Uh, uh, but I do think, man, I, <laughs> I'm really far out on the Stoke limb, but I am just so super unimpressed with them that I'll throw them uh, down as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, now we're going to head into club topics. Uh, Jake, we had you on a couple weeks back. We were talking about the Newcastle buyout, and you were saying, you know, it may be too little too late if it happens. Um, that It might be like the Rafa thing where you get such a good thing, but in a season where you potentially go down, you were worried about coming fixtures. But with this win, things all of a sudden starting to look a little bit better for your side. Obviously, you have Manchester City twice in the next five weeks, which isn't something you love. But Brighton and Stoke, uh, Stoke we just mentioned, uh, Stephen just mentioned Brighton, Swansea down there as well. All of a sudden, these matches start to look like ones uh, that could be winnable and drive you up the table. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think 
You've got to, you've got sort of got to look at your next few games. I think Man City is a write-off. I'm quite happy to admit that's a write-off. As much as I think a team lower down the table will beat them, I don't want to start expecting that's going to be Newcastle. So that's a write-off. But I think the next two games, Brighton and, and Stoke, are both winnable. Uh, especially after the performance we showed at West Ham, like we were very good, we counter-attacked well, we used a lot of pace, we were very decisive it, it, when we had the ball. Uh, the the army and Atsu goal were both very pleasing as a as a supporter. Like it's very easy to get overexcited about the first goal, a free kick, like it was a really good goal, but it's difficult to replicate that on a week on week basis. But the, the other two goals, like it's really good to see. The team I support doing those things in the Premier League, like we, and they weren't only the go- they like we scored those goals. So it's very easy to, to to remember those, but there's two or three chances in the first half that were very similar and we didn't score from. Uh, Dwight Gill hit the hit the bar. Uh, he hit one over Matt Ritchie hit the post. Like we could easily have got more goals in this. Like we we were full value for our win. We weren't lucky. Um, I think in a few of the matches just over the last few weeks, like, yeah, we've been losing a lot, but we could easily have won those matches. And I think for this match, we're very full value for our win, which is, it's just, it's just really, really nice to see. Um, it's difficult to play too much into what, what we did. We had, uh, Shelby was suspended. Marino was, was injured. I think, uh, Hayden was injured as well. We brought in Honoré Saive, uh, I put a tweet out before the game. Who is what is that? Henri Saive, like he's been at the club for a long time, but he's barely ever played. And then within about two minutes, he'd given the ball to Hanal to actually wrap his board. But he he he, came, he he recovered well. I think he had he after that he played very well. He got he got the free kick goal. It's easy to to look at that, but he also intercepted well. He, he did his job well. He worked hard. Uh, covered the midfield well. So it's really pleasing to see somebody who's not played a lot come in and do well. Um, it was really important. I think we got this win, uh, especially with City on the horizon. If we wouldn't have won this game and lost to City, maybe we were in a very, very bad position, maybe three or four points off coming out of the relegation zone. But we got the win. I, and I, it's, I just think like this group of players we've got them just work really hard. And they do their jobs. They maybe aren't the best team. I don't think they are. I think I've seen... Even in my short time, as a new to support, I've seen many, many better teams. But they do their jobs. They work hard. They care about the club. And it's just really pleasing to get the results. So going into Christmas Day, I think we're 50 position. Really, we're in a good spot, I think. It's going to be a tough season. We've got January coming. We've got a takeover coming, as you just alluded to. We've got, we, we spoke about that last time. We've got the takeover coming. But I just think... Yeah, we're we're doing fine. I think we are doing fine. It, it, I saw a lot of journalists maybe hammering Rafa at the weekend after the win, saying maybe he doesn't rate them. But it's yeah, we we aren't a very good team. We need to be realistic, and we are going into Christmas. We're outside the relegation zone. And I think if we stay out that if we stay out the relegation zone, that's that's, that's a good season. Yeah, and I know we did talk about this before, but. Uh... All of a sudden, it's Elliot back in goal, has a really good match, has four saves in each of the last two matches. Uh, are we thinking this is his job now? Right now, yes, it is his job. I was really open to seeing Darlow being given the chance. He, was, he played the majority of the matches in the championship. He, he he did well in a lot of those. He saved. He was very good at pulling out incredible saves, but 
he cost us in the Everton game. He made an error, uh, which really very good to to anticipate and, and capitalize on. Which like it's it's to change your goalkeeper is it's a very big decision. And Rafa's done it, I think, four times since he's taken over as the cost manager, which is too many. And I think at the end of the day, it just, it just shows we don't have the goalkeeper that he trusts. I think until we start a better goalkeeper, it's going to be Ellis' job. But I think. A goalkeeper is going to be very high on the list of priorities for us for the years going into January. It wouldn't shock me if we find somebody. I just, I don't think he trusts it. Oh, I don't think he trusts Elliot. I, I just don't think he has a goalkeeper he's going to trust. And I think it's probably one of the most important uh, positions. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, Elliot did really well at the weekend. Made it, made it a good few saves. He saved the penalty. Wasn't the best penalty, but he saved it, which is, you know, it's. A, very important at the time of that happening. So quickly after going 2-1 up, if we'd have been pegged back, I'm not sure we'd have went on to win the game. That was a really important moment, and and he did well. So I re- I like Elliot in as much as I think he really likes being at Newcastle. I think he really has bought into what the club is, but I don't think he's the best goalkeeper. So, yep, he's, he's the number one right now, but I think we're going to get somebody better within the next 12 months. I'd be, if it's not in January, it'll be in the summer. Interesting. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, we'll be coming to you, Stephen, to talk to you about Chelsea. Uh, a question that I, and <laughs> not to get uh, too kind of crossover episode with our fantasy show, uh, but a lot of fantasy owners are questioning is uh, the usage of Cesc Fabregas. Uh, up until about three weeks ago, he was performing really, really well. He was uh, top of the league-ish in uh, chances created and seem to be a very driving force of your midfield, all of a sudden uh, hasn't started the last three. Uh, just curious as to uh, it, why that's the case and how you feel about it as a Chelsea fan. Yeah, well, this is, this has been kind of the, the, dividing, the dividing decision, I suppose, of Chelsea in the last probably two seasons is um, how, do you, how do you deal with a problem like Cesc Fabregas? Because, because obviously a lot of teams would, would think that, that that's a bit of a, a bit of a joke. You know, Cesc Fabregas is this incredible player. But the problem that we have is that we are kind of under Conte. We're playing this system, obviously the 3-4-3, that we are introduced to the league last season and are used to win the title. But <laughs> Cesc doesn't really have a, a natural position in, in a 3-4-3. And um, it's, kind of, it's very frustrating because... Because with with Kante, you, you think that you think that the kind of all the defensive work is <laughs> is basically covered, but Cesc Fabregas is probably just a just ventures forward one or two many times probably to to work in that position. So we generally have to have to work with the three midfield to accommodate him in there. And um, what that does is it just throws the team's balance off a little bit, unless obviously Morata and Hazard are having a blinder, then then we can accommodate for it. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 been really it's been really a, a dividing topic amongst a lot of Chelsea fans. A lot of Chelsea fans, me me included, want, want to see Fabregas in the team because he's just so incredible. He's been one of the the best players I've had the pleasure of watching week in week out, and he's he's honestly a fantastic guy and a fantastic player. And you don't like to see him out of the team. Um, personally, though, I, I do I do think yeah, he's pre- he's probably got to be we probably got to use use him. A bit more cleverly, I think. I think um, he's been playing a lot of games recently because you know Bakayoko went through a really bad spell of form, three or four games um, uh, at the at kind of the back end of November, and 
and you know we we use Fabregas basically essentially I think every game for for about five or six games and I think I think we wore him out a little bit I think um his last couple of games have ju- has just been Conte maybe just giving him a little bit of a rest and kind of hoping to utilize him in the correct way for this uh, fixture pileup coming up um I th- I do expect to see Fabregas in the side for, against Brighton I think that um one of our main mistakes against Everton was playing uh, two defensive um, kind of midfielders. I think I don't think Bakayoko adds much at all to the attacking to the attacking potential of this team. I think that um, when you look at Fabregas in the side, I think Hazard feels far more comfortable um, sticking to central areas and you know playing off the shoulder, which is where you want to see him, especially when he's kind of playing that false nine role that he's been playing recently. I think that uh, you see Fabregas. You know, he plays that quarterback pass from deep. He drives through midfields. And he also, you know, can he also has a tendency that he's picked up kind of uh, more recently in his game is um, drifting out wide a little bit more and, you know, uh, playing playing kind of one-twos with our wingers, um, play, people like, you know, William Pedro. And, um, you know, he, he's just a really good fit for this team attacking-wise. And I think that I think that Conte can can be a bit more adventurous, can play Fabregas in some of these games. You know, I would have loved to would have loved to see him in the game against Everton. I, I really think that's what we were lacking. I think the game was screaming out for for Cesc Fabregas to enter the fray, and I think we waited a little bit too long on that front. Um, yeah, but in a game like Brighton, in our next coming game, obviously, I think that I really do expect to see him in the team. I'd be extremely disappointed if he wasn't, because you know, I think that in a game against you know, newly promoted side at home, especially after a disappointing result just before Christmas. I think that you want to go out and score a lot of goals for the fans. So I I, I do really expect to see him in there. And, you know, maybe with Morata back in the side, I expect to see quite a few goals, actually. Hmm. All right. And the uh, second question I wanted to ask you is, when fully fit, really, David Luiz is really the only person that isn't, what do you think is your best back line? Because obviously you've kind of chopped and changed a lot of the pieces there. Um, just all around that back line. I'm just curious to, to hear what you think is the optimal version of that defense that you would roll out. Yeah, well, the, the opinion the opinion of uh, a lot of people kind of changes from week to week on whether or not um, Chelsea have a good back line. I think I think a lot of people do give us credit. I think that I think we have a really good back line actually, personally. But um, but yeah, obviously the the changes are kind of the things that have been um, screwing us recently. I think that I think that at the start of the season. Um, David Lewis probably wasn't playing as well as um, as he did last, as the season previous. I think that um, he sh- he's obviously now been kind of uh, replaced by Christensen at this point, which is what we expected as Chelsea fans, but obviously not this early, not this quick, and um, not under these circumstances. I think that um, I think that he probably will go at the end of the season. I mean, if not in January, but you know, the, there are rumors that uh, David Luiz has has fixed the problems that he's had with Conte. You know, he's out now just purely because of this injury that is actually is actually a, a result of a tackle that he suffered from Aguero last season. That he's kind of been fighting off. He's never really had it properly cared after. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. I think I think David Luiz has to be in our best backline. I think he. he even though he is obviously a bit rash, I think I think he adds so much to the team. I think he really is like that kind of a midfield player that can, that, you know, can defend as well. He's, you know, and and when you've got Aspilicueta there, it's he's 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 a safe bet to have, and I think he really adds a lot going forward for this team as well. But yeah, b- best backline for me, Aspilicueta. I think um, playing as uh, that right-sided centre back is 
I, I think I've spoke to you about this a couple of times, Kev. I just think he's one of the most underrated players in mm-hmm. the league. I think, still, I think he's just so incredible. I think he, he really steps up when, uh, he has the captain's armband as well. I think, uh, this week's game against Everton was the first game he's played as captain that he hasn't won. So it's, um, <laughs> you know, I think he, I think he's a real leader in this side. I think he's a lock in that defense. Yeah, Christensen right now probably you'd have to say is is the best for that position. You know, you could argue David Luiz is in there as well, but I'd probably go Christensen right now, just obviously based on form, and I think he's um had a great season. And um, for me personally, the way we play and the way I want I want to see us play personally, I'll put Rudiger at the left-sided centre-back role. Um, Cahill obviously adds a lot to the team from an experience standard-wise, but I I think he... He has a tendency to put Alonso under pressure from not being kind of natural, playing more further wide, you know, as you need these kind of centre-backs to, to stretch wide. I really think that Cahill is uncomfortable, and he does obviously look uncomfortable on the ball sometimes, not being a a, te- a technically gifted player, you might put it, in a nice way. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think Antonio Rudiger... He is a bit raw, and he gives away a bit too many fouls to me still at this point. But, you know, he's learning. He's, he's still new to the league, and I think that we're just going to see him kind of iron out these creases in his game over the next couple of seasons and hopefully develop into a really good centre-back because I think he's got all the, the raw natural ability there. He's, um, he's, he's great with his passing. You know, he, he really helps support the attack, which is the primary job of basically our centre-backs a lot of the time. They do tend to have a lot of time on the ball. And... um. Yeah, he's he's tall, strong, helps in the air, which is uh, what we need, especially when you've got Aspilicueta on your back line. You need someone who can head those balls out. I think he covers a lot of ground there um, as well and also can deliver a killer cross one of, once or twice I've seen this season. He um, chuck, lobs a ball into the box, and it's um, been really helpful for the team, similar to how Aspilicueta has been doing for Morata. So I wouldn't be surprised to actually see him maybe get a few assists come the back end of the season when he gets a few more games. But yeah, for me, that's that's probably our best back three there. All right, and next up we'll do Player Watch, where we're going to quickly discuss who the player of the season has been thus far at each of our clubs. Uh, we'll lead in with you, Jake. Who has been most impressive for Newcastle at this point of the season? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a tough one. I think um, there's been a, a few players that have been good, but I mean, it's between... Mikel Marino and Jamal Sales, I think they've been our two best players. I think if you, if you look at Marino, he's got a lot of interceptions, tackles, duels won, headers. He, he does a lot of things in the middle of the park. And if you look at the sales, I think it's really noticeable the results when he's out of the team and the results when he's in the team is a, is a big difference. I think I think it's probably the sales. It, it, it shocks me to say that at this point. Uh, probably yeah, halfway through the season, it shocks me to say that he's probably been our best player, but. I think it's it's probably the leadership, the organisation. It's a lot of the things that aren't very well backed up with stats because when he was out of the team, we were conceding three goals a game on average, which is way above what you need to be doing if you want to stay in the Premier League. But when he's come back, it's solved that a little bit. I think we conceded two against West Ham at the weekend, but we did win the game, so we can we can sort of ignore that a little bit. But Everton and was it, yeah, Arsenal. Everton and Arsenal, we conceded one goal in each game when he was back. So I just think it, it's between those two. I think they're both really good players. I think the sales has come on a lot. Marino has come in and been a really good signing, which 
this sort of shows what Rafa can do in in the sky market. I hope it can it can continue, and with a bit more money, I hope he can even improve on that. But yeah, it's, it's between those two. I think it's definitely the sales. I think. It probably is the sales. Yeah, I think it is. I just think he's been so important to what we're doing, and I hope he can continue. It's like we're halfway through. Like it's okay doing it for a little bit of the season, but if he can continue with that, like as a captain as well, it's just, it's really important to have that sort of leadership, and it's so noticeable. It's it's diff- it's so difficult for like the media to see it. It's like, it's difficult to quantify stats because he's not doing great. When I've looked at those individual stats, he's, he's not doing it amazingly, but he's doing well, and I think he's really important to what we're doing. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably say the sales, and I, I, I'm really happy to work out for him because it's tough being a captain of a club like Newcastle at, at mm. 23 years old. He's, he's got he's gone and he's done well with it. So I think yeah, it's probably him. Cool. All right, and Stephen, who do you think has been the player of the year thus far at Chelsea? Yeah, well, um, probably no big surprise to hear me say it, Kev, but it's it's Eden Hazard. I, <laughs> this guy, is hey, he's good, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's not bad, is he? Yeah, he's, um, it it honestly baffles me how how people can can say that he's um he's a non consistent player because I do, I think that people that say that don't watch Chelsea play because. <laughs> He, um, yes, he doesn't score the goals he should. And I think that if he was playing in a side like Real Madrid that is way, far more suited to, to help his attacking style, I think he would, he would be up there, you know, it's kind of scoring probably not in the 40, 50 goal range, but I think he would definitely be in the 30 goal kind of range. He's, he's so incredible. It's, it beggars belief sometimes. If, for example, in the Everton game that we just drew, he put a 10 out of 10 performance for me. He was everywhere. He's, and even in games like in the West Ham game, he was probably the best player in the pitch for both teams then and, you know, was on the losing side that day. It, it blows my mind how many times he can be the best player on the pitch and, you know, us still not get a result. I think that the team around him, especially attacking, lets him down. You know, Morat has been kind of in and out of the team a couple times this season due to different reasons. And, um, and when he, and when we utilize Hazard in that attack, in that, False nine role, it can help, but it, then it really depends on the the kind of intelligence, speed, and athleticism of Willian and Pedro, who are streaky at best. And um, it just doesn't help him. I think if we had people more naturally suited to to help Hazard's attacking game, maybe someone like a Riyad Mahrez, as we've been apparently looking at, I would I would be interested to see him in the team. Um, I think that we would see, and obviously if if our system was a bit more a bit more uh, balls to the wall kind of thing and we, we, we went a bit more a bit more aggressively going forward. I think that I think that Hazard would benefit from that. And I think that I think I think that Hazard's career at Chelsea so far has has been incredible. He's he's been the player of the season probably both seasons we won the league. He's and just talking plainly about this season, he's he's incredible. I think he's his dribbling stats uh Equal, if not higher, than Lionel Messi right now, which I think says a lot about him. Um, and chances created in the same range with Lionel Messi as well. So, I mean, he he does his job. I I don't. I think yes, I would like to see him score more goals, but I think that he's just. It's 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 kind of polarizing because he's not because we've obviously got used to seeing people like like Messi and Ronaldo just score these bucket load of goals. So I think we've we've uh, been a bit spoiled with them, and we've 
I think that if we reflect back in kind of 10 years, we'll be like, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> I don't think we should expect <laughs> 40 goals from uh, an attacking player a season. Yeah, Eden has this kind of this mercurial talent that I think um, kind of has to be seen week to week to be fully appreciated. Obviously, I understand why teams, why, why some pundits don't think that he's all that because of the goal scoring stats, but he's genuinely the the best player I've had the privilege of watching over my Chelsea watching career <laughs> as a fan. Um, and, you know, I, that that dates back to watching people like Zola and, um, and, and you know, obviously watched through the, the early Abramovich years mm. the when Lampard was at his peak and, you know, um, yeah, all those guys, it, it has it just tops them all for me. He's, he's probably going to go down as our best ever player, um, definitely ability-wise. And, um you know he, he's he's even up there in the goal scoring. You know he's um he and and in and in the appearance making in the Premier League, I think he's just crossed Artigo Johnson to be Chelsea's tenth top appearance maker, um mm. in the Premier League ever. So he's um he's been incredible for our club. I I love him to death, and he continues to put in ten out of ten performances and still get nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like a lot of that frustration comes from the fantasy side of football. Um, <laughs> where, where his quote unquote performances are inconsistent, but his real life performances are incredible. And I, I, I would like to say as a neutral and as much as, as loath as I am to admit it, I've always really, uh, enjoyed the way that A, Hazard plays and B, that he plays through contact. Much like Messi, if you like look at his ankles or his socks at the end of any match, they're like all dinged up. There's blood everywhere. Um, and you don't really see him complaining about it. He plays through all that stuff, tends to stay on his feet. Uh, and even though I hate the ever-living bejesus out of him and you for winning that Champions League final that decided he would move to you instead of us, um, still have to appreciate the talent, uh, e- even from somebody uh, outside the Chelsea fan base. Yeah, you make, you make a great point about, about, the, about the tackles. That's something I miss because this guy gets tackled and gets fouled so much, and it's so blatant. And, you know, he rarely gets help from the referees. Obviously, you know, you can argue whether or not that he deserves the help or whether the referees should help him. But I just I think that people blatantly foul him on the halfway line. If the amount of times you see that is it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. He there was a great shot in the Everton game, especially where he's where I think we're wearing the white shirt and um <laughs> he was just covered in dirt by the he was in the ninetieth minute just head to toe basically in dirt on his kit and um yeah, he's he just plays through it all, which is great. Yep. All right, and we will wrap up uh, with match previews. We'll preview our matches that are uh, going to be happening on Boxing Day, I guess, except for Jake, technically. Uh, but we'll lead in here with uh, uh, Tottenham because we are going to be playing Southampton to open up uh, the proceedings. Uh, Charlie Austin being out is obviously a boost for us considering the inconsistency of uh, Manolo Gabbiadini and the fact that Shane Long was never taught the offside rule as a child. Um, so that <laughs> benefits us. Um just finding form now, uh, I think is huge for us. If Della Ali can continue to play well, that's huge for us. Uh, Sun Hyung Min has been phenomenal for us thus far. Um, did miss a very, very easy shot, uh, at the weekend, which would have been, uh, just further testament to how, how well he's been playing lately. But a thing seems like things are picking up. The fact that Davinson is back from suspension and now plugs into the back line means that Dyer can play in midfield, offering a little bit more protection a little further up the pitch. Um, I think we'll, we'll be able to turn over Southampton. They are not exactly a goal threat, uh, and they have managed to keep just one clean sheet in the last 10 matches. So it's not like they're keeping anybody out as well. You have Kane rolling in, coming off a hat trick. Um, 
I think we might actually see Lamella get the start in this one. Obviously, the wingbacks will rotate yet again. Uh, Hugo at the back. Not a lot of excitement uh, when thinking about uh, Tottenham's lineups week to week, um, but I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in this one. Um, will we keep a clean sheet? We've actually been struggling with that lately. I'll say Tottenham win. Hmm, I'll say 2-1, uh, but but like one of those comfy 2-1s, not one of those horrible, nervy ones. <laughs> we'll come to you next, uh, Stephen, with Chelsea versus Brighton. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, it is just the Pascal Gross show at Brighton at the moment. Uh, I assume you're pretty confident in heading into this one? Yeah, well, obviously, obviously uh, Brighton will be up for it, you know, wanting to put in good performances against all the top teams, like I assume all, all the all these guys want to, especially a team like Brighton, who hasn't been in the Premier League for a long time, will probably relish a chance to come to Stanford Bridge and, you know, Old Trafford and all those kind of places. Um, so obviously you've got to be wary. Um, but yeah, like, like I mentioned, like you just said, then I think progress is the, is the main threat. And I think, um, I think our backline should be able to handle him. Um, we have been prone to a couple of dumb mistakes this season. Um, just, you know, just giving up silly goals, you know, not positioning just a little bit out of whack at sometimes, but, um, yeah, we, we should have enough to ease past Brighton, I assume, and especially after the Everton game, I think um, this Chelsea side will be keen on scoring a few goals. Um, I think that Fabregas will come back into the side, Morat will be back in the team. Um, I think Conte, I think Conte, not under pressure, obviously, we all love him at Chelsea, but I think that he will have a feeling that he, he kind of wants to win a lot of these next couple games coming up because it is kind of a more better spell right now and going into a section in kind of February, March where we have to play Manchester City twice, Arsenal like three times and um, Barcelona twice and Man United. <laughs> I think um, I think yeah, we need to take as many points in this period as we can. I think um, in Conte will be rotating a lot in these next couple games, but I do expect to see pretty much the full-strength side against Brighton to start off this run, this little run that we're going to about to go on now. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably say, I would love to say 3-0 to be confident, but I would say 3-1 just because right now we do seem to give away a couple silly goals every now and then. Um, but yeah, I don't think their threat will be anything anything uh, more seriously than a constellation, I think. Mm. Um, you obviously have a very tough task in facing Manchester City. Uh, any chance you're the ones to topple them? This is a, this is a funny question because I'm very happy it's not happening on Boxing Day, so I can enjoy all that football. I think that's the main thing. <laughs> First of all, it's for me. I want to enjoy Boxing Day, and I'm going to enjoy that. But, but also, in my opinion, like Manchester City, are not going to get beaten by a good team. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a very weird result when it happens. I think it's going to be a free result when Man City get beaten. I don't quite, at this stage, I don't quite believe they're going to go and beat the whole season. Although if they did, it wouldn't massively shock me. But right now, there's a lot of games to go. They've, we've played 90 games this season, I think. They're probably still going to get beaten at this stage. And I think, why not Newcastle? Like, why not us? We've just beaten West Ham. We've finished our rotten run. We've got a, a, a quality manager, Rafa Benitez. We've won the Champions League. Like, not a lot of current managers managing right now can claim to have won the Champions League. I think... Why not? Why not us? Like it's gonna be a team that's not that great, and we're not that great. I'm not gonna gonna pretend we're great, <laughs> or, or we're, I'm not gonna pretend we're anything above where we we are. Like our station is very average, trying to stay in the Premier League. So that's currently where we're at. Hopefully, we're gonna go to better things in the future. But right now, we are just very average. And why not Newcastle? Like we, I remember a few years ago when Chelsea were, were 12 games unbeaten under Mourinho. We were the ones that 
ended that streak at St James Park. This is at St James Park. Why not Newcastle? Like we could, I w- if I had to predict a result, I'm going to predict a Manchester City win because that's very obvious at this stage. But I think if somebody's going to beat them, why not Newcastle? It's, somebody is going to beat them, and somebody it's going to be somebody very unexpected. And I think why not Newcastle? I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we if we got a good result, but I'm not going to predict a good result. I think we're going to get beat, but we just got to yeah. I'm, I think I think it's going to be probably like two two one three one Man City, but it wouldn't massively shock me. This is very Newcastle. Like we'll, <laughs> we'll, we, I can imagine us lose, beating Manchester City and then losing three one to Brighton in in the following fixture. It wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. I, I think. It, could be somebody very average to beat Brighton, uh, to beat Manchester, and I think why not Newcastle? Mm. And obviously, on Christian Atsu's run of form, he he could easily score a hat trick against Manchester City. Very easily score a hat trick <laughs> against Manchester City. <laughs> All right, and that'll just about do it for us today. So, if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. Hi, I'm Jake, uh, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jabbles to ends. Uh, I write for EPL Index and the Boot Room. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Stephen Clark CFC, um, and you can find my writings on EPL Index and on uh, London is Blue. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can also find our fantasy and championship shows on this very channel at EPL Roundtable. Uh, I also am the lead fantasy writer over at Goal.com, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, go over there if you wouldn't mind. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. Happy Christmas to those who celebrate, and we'll catch you next time. secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.